Thank you all for your singing. I appreciate, Mr. Densmore, your thoughts there on being adopted part of the family of God. Can I run away with it a little further? Um, the idea of an inheritance, he talked a little bit about that, you know, how terrible, how in fact evil it would be for someone who wished a parent to die so they could get their inheritance. Well, think about the idea of inheritance for a moment. What is one of the things that normally happens before an inheritance is given? Somebody dies. Now think about it in the family of God. Did anybody die? Who? Jesus died. You see, it's because of his death that we are able to be joint heirs with him. But you know what's so different about that compared to most earthly inheritance? Is that he came back alive. And so we get both him and inheritance, and what a glorious privilege it is to be counted as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Oh, how glorious it is, because he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. If you would please this morning take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ezra chapter 9. Two weeks ago, we learned about Ezra, even though we're all the way in chapter, well, we didn't meet him until chapter 7. Can anyone give me a little synopsis or tell me a few things about the man Ezra? Anybody remember anything about this guy? Well, I'll give you the most obvious clue. God inspired him to write this book. Okay, we all settled on that? Okay, good. Very most likely, he also compiled the book of Nehemiah as well. But what's something else about him? Can you tell me anything else about him? Elijah? He was a Levite. Very good. Yes. He was respected. That's true, too. Anything else? Yes. He was a scribe. That's right. Anything else? Yes. He was entrusted, well, they didn't have dollars back then, but equivalent of millions of dollars. Yes, he was entrusted with millions of dollars. Anything else we know about him? Yes. He was what? Oh, yes, he knew God. He certainly knew God. What was the phrase that Ezra kept using about God? Somebody maybe other than that hasn't answered a question yet. Anybody remember? It, like happened, it was stated over and over and over in chapter 7 and 8. A very specific phrase. Raya? That's right. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. We can't forget that. Is the hand of the Lord upon us? Well, if we're adopted and if we're a child of the king, you better believe it is. He's right there with you and his hand is always upon you. Do we, as obedient children, walk in him and in his way? Or are we those who are always wanting to go astray? We need to keep that before us. Anything else about Ezra that I missed or you all missed that we need to remember? Elijah said he was a Levite. Can anybody get more specific about what he was? He was a priest. Yes, that's significant, especially as we continue into the lesson today. Now, he, I heard over here he was entrusted with millions of dollars. 
Yes. Why was he entrusted with millions of dollars? Yes. No, he was not a king. He was a priest and a scribe, but the king entrusted him with millions of dollars. Why? Can I have our timeline up on the screen? Yes. Because why? Because the king trusted him. That is true. That's why he had millions of dollars. But what was he going to do with millions of dollars? Was he going to go buy a new car? A new chariot? What was he going to do with millions of dollars? You got it. Did she see that on the screen? Oh, it's up there. But you know, this screen I have got to revise. You think, then why didn't I? Well, because I want to see if you remember. That was a goal of him, to take the millions of dollars entrusted to him by the king and by all the people, Jews in, scattered abroad, and by others, the princes of Persia, and to come and to beautify the temple. But there was another goal Ezra had, and I believe this goal was a thousand times more important to him than putting gold on the temple. Does anybody remember what that goal was? To teach. That's right. Look in your Bibles across the page. I told you to turn to nine. Can you turn back to chapter seven? Right after it declares that the good hand of his God was upon him, in Ezra 7, 9, verse 10 tells us this. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. This was his passion to, to know. It tells us he was a ready scribe in another place. That means he knew what he was copying out. He knew the law of God, and he was excited to go to the promised land, go to that temple, and teach the right ways. I wonder why he wanted to do this. We could speculate. But as we can learn about what we're going to learn about today, I wonder if maybe he hadn't heard some rumors of what we learn about in Ezra chapter 9. If you look here at this timeline, any good mathematicians tell me how many years are between 536 B.C. and 458 B.C.? As soon as you know it, say it. 78. 78. Is he right? Oh, good, because I'm not doing the math. I'm just waiting for you all. 78 years. So Zerubbabel, with Joshua the high priest, had come to Jerusalem 78 years before to rebuild the temple. They rebuilt the temple. It was pretty plain and boring and smaller, but they rebuilt it, and the sacrifices continued. And the, many people had come back to the land. Now it is 78 years later. Now, picture that for a moment. You know Pastor Virgil, he died this year. He was only 74 years old. He was born in 1948. So to bring this into perspective, 
This is about the time, I mean, like, how many of you were born that long ago? Okay. You know, you, you would have been with Zerubbabel. See how few of you were, there were who would have been here with Zerubbabel. All of the rest of us don't remember Zerubbabel. I mean, we might because there was time there. That's when they first came back. We may not remember Persia. A lot of time has gone by. Now turn with me to chapter 9. Because Ezra has finally arrived in the promised land and the good hand of his God has been upon him and led him all the way. He has taken the millions of dollars and he has deposited it into the temple. They have offered sacrifice and they have worshipped God and they are excited. I imagine that, that, that Ezra was just thrilled and couldn't wait to start the Bible class. Ezra chapter 9. Now when these things were done, the depositing of the treasures, the worship and the sacrifice, the delivering of the tax-exempt letters to the governors and all the other important documents to the rulers around them, when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, I'm, I... Have I already given you a hint? It's not good news. Not good news. Here is the news. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites had not separated themselves from the people of the lands doing according to their abominations. What's that mean? The people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, were doing things God hates. Oh. They're doing these things that God hates that are normal, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands, yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. Oh, what's happened in the 75 years, 78 years? People have not separated themselves from the wicked people. Now, don't miss this. So many people and commentators, when they come to Ezra 9 and 10, get obsessed over the marriage issue. Look very closely here at verse 1. They were doing according to their abominations. <laughs> Verse 2, 
What are abominations? Things that God hates. We don't have time to go into the long list of them, but Ezra, who was a ready scribe in the law of the Lord, knew what these things were. Things God hates. The most famous list of things God hates is given to us in Proverbs. Can anyone list to me those things that God hates in Proverbs? It begins like this. These six things doth the Lord hate. Oh, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit all of a sudden says, oh yeah, yea, seven. Isn't that interesting? These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him. Does anybody know where that's found? You know that verse? Proverbs 6. Can you turn over there? First person that finds it, can you jump up and read it for us all? I want you to try to find it. Instead of me just telling you where it's at and telling you to, to, to listen to me. I submit to you, these are still seven things God hates today and are an abomination. And you know what's really interesting? They're not actually unique to the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Persians, what, what, all, all those ites. They're, 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 they're even common to Americanites. Huh. You know, the law of Moses that I know, Ezra, the ready scribe, ready scribe means he knew it, he understood it, and he knew how to apply it. There's a lot of other things that are called abominations. Two different words translated as abomination, sometimes they just a repulsive idea, others that are actually morally repulsive. I think there is a distinction there. It's a morally repulsive thing. A thing that's not a word not found in the Bible, but is described in the Bible as called homosexuality, is said to be by God as an abomination. Right there alongside people sacrificing their children to idols. You see, what exactly the abominations were that the people were doing, I don't know. It doesn't say here in Ezra. But it tells us, point blank, that they were doing according to their abominations, and it tells us how they fell into this. You see, we don't often just up and go into abominations. Oftentimes, we're led into it. How were they led into it? Look here what it says. Look at the report. The declaration is here. They have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. They were supposed to separate themselves from them. Instead, they did according to their abominations. Then it goes on and it describes how close these relationships were. And this is where many people focus in on, and it's legitimate to focus in on it. But it was so, their, their separation was so non existent. Their relationships were so close that they even married these people who were doing abominations. Oh. 
People get distracted sometimes about and get all distracted on the, the marriage side of here, but it's just like, do you not see how this step went down? The relationships were terrible. This report comes to Ezra, and Ezra, he is horrified. He's just terrified. What in the world? Why would the people do this? Why would they do this? Why? Why would they do this? And you know what he did? He tore his garments. You all are sitting there in shock, right? We don't do that nowadays. They didn't do it very often in those days. See, my suit's so well taken. He tore his garments. Why? That wasn't something they did every day then either. It was a point of horror. Ezra was horrified. Horrified. Horrified at what he had heard. It says that when I heard these things, I rent my garments and my mantle and I plucked my hair from my head and my beard. And I sat down, astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. I'm not suggesting you go rip up your clothes when you hear of abominations in our land. But I do have a question. Are we as horrified? We may sit back and say, that's an abomination. But will we set those abominations before our eyes on our phones or on our TVs? I hope not. I'm not saying we rip up our clothes, but do we have the same horror and disgust for abominations of Americanites? See, we sometimes like to say, well, then the Canaanites, and those are the Perizzites and the Jebusites. And the Jews even had this problem. We're okay. No, I'm not very okay. You see... This is what our righteousnesses are. If we really think about what our righteousnesses are, this, this, we got to be honest. It's, it looks like this. They're filthy rags. And do we find horror in the abominations around us? Do we tremble? Do you see that there in verse six, foot 4? Do we, everyone, tremble at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression? Do we tremble? 
or do we take pleasure in them? Well, let's continue back to Ezra. He is a ready scribe. He knows the law of God. And the news that he hears causes him to tremble. He's horrified. Why? How could this be? Imagine if he's so excited to share the law of God with people. And he's come, and they haven't even observed the basic parts. He's even more terrified because these abominations are capital crimes. What's that mean? That means some people will have to be executed, killed. That's not what he came to Jerusalem to do. Do we tremble at the abominations that we see? That night came, that evening, and it tells us that at the evening, Ezra writes, I arose up from my heaviness, having rent my garment and my mantle. And he says, I fell upon my knees and I spread out my hands unto the Lord God. But you know, when he did, he was ashamed. He literally says that he, he was reddened with embarrassment. It tells me these sins were pretty serious. And he said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings, our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, to spoil, to the confusion of faith as it is this day. And now, for a little space hath been shown from the Lord our God to leave us in a remnant to escape and to give us a nail, a sure place. In this holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath exalted extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. 
And now, oh, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets, saying, the land which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with all the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now, therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou art our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this, Oh, should we again break thy commandments? I join in affinity with the people of these abominations. Wouldst not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us, so that there should be none remnant nor escaping? Oh, Lord God of Israel, Thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. Did you hear the confession? Did you hear the prayer of Ezra? There's a lot there. <laughs> we could preach a few sermons on different themes that he brings out in his confession. I'd like to bring your attention to a few phrases. The first is when he declares in verse 13 that thou, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Brothers and sisters, friends, 
We don't deserve anything. Old teacher of mine used to say, thank God he doesn't give me what I deserve. Don't want to fight for my rights with God because my rights are the lake of fire, not a place I want. And so in God's mercy, do we respond to him in obedience with true confession? I'd like to bring your attention to verse 15. Ezra prays, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. Now that's the key theme of the whole Bible. Way back in Genesis, the rhetorical question was asked by Abram, shall the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer is, without a doubt. It's not stated, but it's assumed. He's righteous in all his doings. And here's what's amazing, is here Ezra recognizes that even in God's righteousness, he's allowed them to escape to this day, but he realizes that they don't deserve it. For he says, before thee in our trespass, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. We cannot stand before thee because of this. Their trespasses. Now, brothers and sisters, those of you who are in Christ, what does this remind you of? You see, when we consider who we are, there's a sense in which, yes, indeed, we ought to tear our garments. Can I tear it again? Yep, I'll keep tearing. Right? But, but wait, is that what we do? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Because as Christians, as we look at ourselves, there's something else we do. Key phrase, as Christians. What's that mean? That means that our sins have been washed away. That means that we have lost our rags. Elijah, could you go to my office and get my other suit coat? We've lost these rags of self-righteousness and been clothed in the righteousness of who? Jesus. And who is righteous? Jesus is. He's righteous. Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, was delivered up to death for our offenses and was raised again for our justification that we might be declared righteous. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you see the contrast to Ezra chapter 9 in the last verse there? He says, Before thee in our trespasses, thank you, Elijah, 
we can not stand before thee because of this. Dear friends, if you're still in your trespasses and sins, these rags, you can't stand before the holy God. But if you receive Jesus and you let him take these filthy rags upon himself as he did on the cross, he was made sin for us. And then we let him take, and and this is really a, a false picture here. I should have somebody, Mr. Densmore, could you come represent Christ? Because it's, it's, it's not me. I can't put this on. Mr. Densmore represents Jesus. He takes my filthy rags, and then I let him, by faith, put his righteousness on me. Not to be, oh, look at me, but to say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And then what can I do? When I stand by faith in this grace, this gift, this gift of Jesus' righteousness, I can stand. In my trespasses, I'm, prost- I'm, I'm, I'm dead. But when I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, I can stand, and not only stand, I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Oh, isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? Oh, it's good for us to see where Ezra was because that is how we have to view our sin. Even brothers and sisters, as we rejoice and hope in God's glory, we still need to have that mentality towards abominations. How many of you want, it, want this? You want it? See, I pretty much had worn this suit out, and I undergrew it. So it was time to demote it. Um, I, I undergrew it a long time ago, and I've been saving it for such a day as this. Um, no, nobody wants this. What do we want? We, we can't stand in this, but we should repudiate this. And we should continue as believers to repudiate sin, but we don't let it destroy us. We need to do as Ezra actually did. And boy, are we out of time. Basically, when this all happened, there was a need for something to change. This had to change. They had to separate themselves from the people who were doing abominations. I'm going to make a very clear point here in all of this. Many people have wrongly taken Ezra chapter 9 and 10 and turned it into an ethnicity or race issue. It's not an ethnicity or a race issue according to genes and genealogy. It's a spiritual race issue. You see, Rahab was a Canaanite. Rahab married a Jew. Someone gave their son to Rahab, a Canaanite, as a wife. Moabite. Ruth was a Moabitess. Did you see that was one of the named nations here? 
She was a Moabitess, and Boaz married her. Other Jews had married her first. <laughs> you know that story. But died, and then Boaz married her. You know what's amazing now? In the very line of Christ, Ezra talks about the holy seed. The holy seed. The holy, don't you think that Christ's seed would be holy? Both Rahab a Moabitess, I'm sorry, Rahab a Canaanite, and Ruth a Moabitess are in that holy seed of the Messiah. The issue never was and never is about race or ethnicity. The issue has always been as to whether or not you're a child of God. That's what the issue has always been. In fact, in the morning message, we're going to come back to this topic because there were some laws prescribed, and we can learn an awful lot from the principle of those laws even in our day today. The issue is that they did not separate from the pagan peoples. The sad thing is, is that they were specifically nations, and it was so serious that it wasn't. They weren't supposed to be entering into relationships with them. Why Rahab exceptions? Why Ruth exceptions? Why? Because they came forth and demonstrated something amazing. Faith. You can exhibit something amazing too. Faith. Faith in God. It's a wonderful thing when we know God. Oh, we are out of time today. I don't dare launch into the next chapter. But I encourage you as we prepare to come back together next week, um, would, you, would you please, or we may do it this afternoon because uh, it really is needed for what I, need to talk, what I had planned for this afternoon, so we might shuffle some order here. But chapter 10 is one of the most controversial um, chapters in all the Bible. But I'll encourage you that there's some really clear teaching that from our New Testament dispensation is very helpful to us whether, how, no matter how confusing or controversial Ezra chapter 10 is, 1 Corinthians 7 is actually quite clear in clearing it up that was written sometime later that is very helpful for us. And um, we're going to come back to that this afternoon and next Sunday morning. But I want to encourage you as we just close out this morning again, if this morning you have not been clothed in Jesus' righteousness, Please understand your righteousness and understand that Jesus is without sin and that Jesus took your filthy rags and all your sins upon himself and he died for you, was buried and rose again. He rose again so that he could take his righteousness and put it on you so that you could be justified, that is declared righteous, right with God so that you could have peace with God. If you are in your trespasses, you cannot stand before God. But if you are in Jesus' righteousness, you can stand before God. And not only just stand before him, but you stand in his grace with joy, not with weeping. He'll wipe those tears away. You can shed tears for sin. It's right to do so but he wants to wipe them away and give you his joy with his justification 
and the hope of his glory. In the, in the wordless book, we have the gold page. The gold stands for our God is golden. He's perfect. He's golden. He lives in a golden city. He is glorious. And he's promised all those things to us. When we receive him, believe on him, we receive the inheritance. We're the children. We're adopted. And we can stand. What a joy that is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this history. May we have a view of abominations as you do. May we abhor them, be astonished, astonished in them as Ezra was. Ezra was a man who was clothed in your righteousness, and yet as he considered the abominations, he was still horrified. And in that he recognized that his only hope was in your righteousness. Way back before Romans chapter 5 was ever written, Ezra believed this truth. Lord, I pray that we might live the same way. We might hope and rest in you, that you might glorify yourself in us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.